All right, well, we finally managed to get onto a call. I know there was a lot of, uh, you know, changing last week and everything, but it's great to finally have you. Thank you. I've got a, a list of questions here I'll uh, put in front of the screen. So I guess uh, perhaps the best place to start, or to give everyone watching a little a bit of a background story, uh, I run the website onlinemarketingforschools.com and have been posting a number of different uh, blog posts and, and webinars on different things just to help uh, social, uh, sorry, so help school marketers uh, just get up to speed on all the different things happening uh, in the online marketing world. And I found a, a couple of posts from Eric online and I thought, now this is a guy who knows what's going on when it comes to social media, uh, being a principal himself. So I thought uh, I might reach out to Eric and see if he would be interested in doing a, a call with me so I can interview him and uh, just ask some questions that I think are really relevant to school principals in Australia. So perhaps, Eric, you could uh, Give us, I guess, a little bit of a background on uh, yourself, uh, the school that you are the principal of, and uh, how long you've been the principal there, and then, I guess, when you decided to jump into social media. Gotcha. Well, thanks again, Mike, for having me. Uh, good evening, at least from where I'm from, from New York City, where I live. Uh, but I am the principal at New Milford High School, which is about 39 miles north of where I am right now. So we're kind of really near the George Washington Bridge, about 10 minutes west of Upper Manhattan. Uh, the town of New Milford is two square miles. That's right, two square miles. Um, in that two square miles, we have uh, one high school that serves 650 students. Parents speak 40 different languages at home, so we're very diverse, and we're a blue-collar community, which basically equates into the fact that we don't have lots of money. So I've been at New Milford since 2004. Uh, I became the principal in 2007, so seven years as principal. For the uh, beginning part of my career, I didn't use any social media. I felt that it was a distraction. It was unsafe for students, that I did not have the time. Um, and, and basically, I used every excuse in the book not to be online and connected. And prior to 2009, I wasn't on Facebook, Twitter, Friendster, MySpace, which as you know, some of those are gone already. But um, you know, so again, I fought really hard to create and sustain a school culture that did not incorporate any form of social media. So in March 2009, <laughs> I happened to, by chance, read an article about Twitter in my Sunday paper. And as I read the article, I'm like, this is stupid, stupid, I don't have time, yada, yada, yada. I get to the end of the article, and the light bulb went on. And I realized that, you know, in my ignorance, I was ignoring a free tool that I could use to better communicate with my stakeholders, and that was Twitter. So the only reason I got on social media was to be a better communicator, which you won't find any effective leader that is not an effective communicator. So for the next couple weeks to months, I was just communicating. And what I found, more and more, I started to lurk. I know it's creepy, but I was just lurking, watching other people, 
And as I lurked, I learned, and my behavior shifted from communicator to learner. And, and that really is when the magic started to happen, is when I started learning about what educators were doing across the globe, I learned about all these free web-based tools that we were not using in New Milford. I started connecting with other leaders, other thought leaders, other educators, and I just became this sponge where I tried to take in so much information. I created my own personal learning network using social media tools, and fast forward five years, now you'd be hard-pressed to find a school leader that is more connected than I am. So that's sort of the, the nuts and bolts, quick Cliff Notes version of my journey. Great. Well, that's that's good. That gives everyone a, a great over, overview of, I guess, how you got started and uh, how it all happened to you uh, or for you. I think that's a good point you make where originally you were quite against social media uh, and perhaps even bring your own device to school? How did, how did that happen for you? Were, you? were you kind of against that or were you on board with that? Well, the, the bring your own device was, again, kind of uh, lumped in with social media. And it was through my interactions connecting with other educators and being able to create uh, mechanisms for all this information to come to me as I started learning about other schools that were bring your own device. And you know, I think that you know, we fear what we don't know. Uh, I developed a perception of social media based upon part fear, part misconception. And that's why, because I was uneducated, I became very ignorant and, and I really created a school that was the exact opposite of the real world that I was preparing my students to be successful in. So as I became more familiar with social media and how it could be effectively integrated into teaching and learning environments, I started learning about Bring Your Own Device. Uh, there was a district here in uh, the United States, in Georgia, the Forsyth School District, that sort of um, has been the trailblazer for Bring Your Own Device. And um, as I learned more about the initiative and became less fearful of what my students would do, you know, social media taught me to give up control and trust my students. You can't do Bring Your Own Device if you don't give up control and trust your kids. So through the support virtually, because there was no game plan for a Bring Your Own Device initiative when we started this over three years ago, that you know over time we developed our own hybrid model that worked for us, and uh, now we are a school that many people turn to out here um, in America to figure out, okay, well, how can we effectively integrate BYOD? How is New Milford doing it? What can we learn from them? And uh, now we're we average 750 unique devices connected to our Wi-Fi each day. And remember, I only have 650 kids. So we've come so far in such a short period of time with Bring Your Own Device. All right, excellent. And how do you find, when you said like letting go and kind of enabling your students rather than putting in policies to hold them back and stop them getting involved with social media, how did that kind of evolve for you as far as giving the students more control, how did you implement that? Yeah, you know, because I, again, I, a lot of it was, was fear. I, I was afraid of what students might do on the devices. I was afraid of what they might do uh, if they're able to use different social media tools. And education is the key to overcoming fear. The more I learned 
about pedagogically sound ways to integrate social media, um, how to create an equitable learning environment with BYOD, creating policies that work for students as opposed to ones that just work for us, that we were able to overcome many of the challenges and obstacles that really hold uh, many others back. You know, what I've learned over the past couple years is education is good for one thing. It's good for making excuses not to move forward. Education is full of excuses, whether it be uh, social media is a time sap, it's not safe, students are going to cheat on their devices, they're going to cyberbully, all this stuff. But you know what? As we have learned together with our students, as we have ventured outside our comfort zones and begun to pursue a ambitious uh, agenda of growth and innovation, we continually learn to unlearn and then relearn again. And by doing that, you know, we are finding ways to make all this work in not only safe ways, but ways that are radically improving the learning experience for our kids. All right, excellent. And if a student does happen to do the wrong thing on social media, I'm sure it must have happened at least once, and they've said something inappropriate, or they've they broadcast something that, that's not really what you would want them to do. How have you dealt with that? Well, let me flip it and ask you a question, Mike. When you were in, when you were in school, how did you communicate behind the scenes with your friends or girls or so on and so forth? Well, when I was in school, we, we actually weren't even allowed mobile phones, so it definitely right. wasn't social media. So what did you resort to? Well, we just talked with each other. Or did you ever write notes? I mean, we did. We, we wrote notes in class uh, sometimes, I do remember. So we, did. we would write notes, fold them up, and pass them along. It's the same thing. When I was in school in the 90s, if we wrote notes in class, we were off task, it became a discipline issue. Too often we confuse um, technology and discipline. We automatically think that it's the technology that's the problem when it's not. Mobile phones, devices are the notepad, pencils, and pens of our generation. So we shouldn't treat it differently. We don't stop lessons. We don't just, you know, punish kids for passing those notes. You know, it, it, it's amazing how different our views are when it's about this as when we found the ways to communicate and do all that so what we do is we treat it as a discipline issue it has absolutely nothing to do with the technology if students are off task with their devices two things are in play one the lesson might not be that great and students are not engaged so that falls upon on the teacher or the culture of the school is such that it doesn't support the um, strategic use of devices as mobile learning tools and that falls on me and others as the administrators. So <clears throat> what we've done is really created a culture where the device is used in one of three ways to enhance learning, increase productivity, or conduct better research. And our motto is pedagogy first, technology second if appropriate. But on the flip side, <clears throat> you know, we treat all of our students with a one-size-fits-all approach. It's usually all or nothing. 
So how can we punish those students that want to take pictures of notes, that want to do audio notes, that want to use their device as a bona fide learning tool? So, you know, I think we need to really focus on behaviors as opposed to the technology. And if we can move past that, we just deal with it like we would any other classroom management issue, and we move forward. All right. Excellent answer. I love it. That uh, it makes total sense. And I think uh, definitely in Australia, a lot of principals would be treating it differently to a normal uh, behavioral issue. But um, I love that answer. That makes so much sense. As far as maybe public schools compared to private schools, do you see much of a difference in the way principals should engage with social media or online technology? Because I was speaking last week with a, a principal about the uh, interview I was going to do with you, and they, they mentioned, oh, different. it's different for public schools in the States as compared to private schools. It may not be as important for private schools or independent schools. What's your thoughts on that? I'll tell you right now, it is so much more important for private schools because they are in the business of making money. They need to get the students' enrollments up so that they can actually get the tuitions. So if anything, you know, by creating a dynamic learning culture that allows students to use real-world tools to do real-world work, or as a leader, leveraging the tools to form to better engage stakeholders via communication and public relations and creating a positive brand presence, I mean, I think that there should be a greater sense of urgency because public schools, we're going to get our money. We're going to get our support. We're going to be able to make do whether or not we have all those students coming in or leaving. Private schools, on the other hand, listen, if they're not getting enough students, then you're going to lose teachers. The schools might close down. So. You know, but when I look at it here in the states, 80% of schools, public and private, have not jumped on the bandwagon yet because they come up with all the excuses, fear. They'll use national law and state laws as excuses not to move forward. And in my book, I sort of debunk the myths that are out there. They feel they don't have the time or it's just another thing I have to do. When it's not, you know, you're finding your responsibilities as a school leader, educator, and all I'm doing is I'm doing everything that every other school principal is doing in my country and in probably your country. The only difference is I'm strategically using tools of the digital age to become more effective and efficient at what I do. I'm doing less managerial tasks and being able to focus on the bigger vision issues and that's how we've been able to really move our school forward, um, you know, in this sea of negative rhetoric, confusion, nationalized standards, all of this mumbo jumbo that is uh, up out here in, in my country. But I'm sure you got your own issues out there. But um, you know, it, it's it still amazes me how many. Um, fixed mindsets we have out here, not just in the United States, but across the world when it comes to social media, when we have to have a growth mindset. And it's really about simply how can we do what we do better? And if we have that growth mindset and we look at social media as an opportunity 
to become better. Who would not want to seize on that opportunity? Especially now um, when there is a great book, shameless plug, there's a great book out there that sort of navigates this tsunami of information for school leaders and, and really provides the foundational elements to do everything that we're doing to Milford in a safe, productive fashion. <clears throat> excellent, excellent. And as far as the marketing of the school, I mean, it sounds like you're using social media and getting students engaged and everything. I think a lot of schools out here might, well, the starting point would be to use it for marketing purposes, I guess, in preference to getting students on board straight away. How do you find social media plays in your marketing efforts? Well, first and foremost, schools across the world, teachers, and leaders, educators, we don't brag enough. We don't brag enough about the great work we're doing each and every day. So you can look at it as marketing. You can look at it as branding. You can look at it as persuading. It doesn't really matter. What we're trying to do is become more transparent and shed light into the eyes of our stakeholders about the hard, productive, um, gratifying work that we're doing each and every day. So, you know, we don't look at it per se as marketing. What we're doing is we're communicating with our stakeholders by meeting them where they're at. Where are they at? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, LinkedIn, you, you go ahead, you name it, Pinterest. And then we've taken control of our public relations. We, in a sense, have been, feel compelled to become the storyteller-in-chief. Because in this day and age, if we don't tell our story, someone else will. And when someone else tells our story, nine out of ten times, it's not going to be the story we want told, especially when it comes to schools. But now there's no more excuses. We have Twitter, Facebook, blogs, so many other tools where we can tell our story 24-7. We can create our own public relations platform that is positive, that always articulates an accurate message about what we're doing. So what I've learned is when you communicate with social media and you use it for public relations, you, whether you believe it or not, or trying to do it, create your own brand presence. You create a positive brand presence around the work that you're doing. School brands today should convey teacher administrator quality, student accomplishments, staff achievements, uh, innovative practices, extracurricular activities. All this can be done seamlessly by just telling our story. And then, if you want to, you can use those tools to market the different the brand that you have or to you know portray to other stakeholders that you're trying to get to come to your school hey here's what we offer you can find it on any Google search just go and look uh, it, it's a beautiful thing when you know I hate the saying perception is reality because if you let people form a perception they're, they're not going to care what the reality is we give our stakeholders the reality of what's going on if you look at my blog today there is a blog post about how our physics course, our physics classes are going to our makerspace in our library. What I'm doing each and every day is telling our story. Everybody has that available to them now. It it's again comes that back to having a desire to want to do things that are non-traditional, 
again, to become more effective and, e and efficient. Breaking free of the status quo, Mike, is probably one of the hardest things to do in education because people are so set in their ways. We got blinders on. It's like closed vision when we really have to have an open mind and, again, that fixed mindset concept. Right, okay. You mentioned a lot of uh, different networks there. I know you kind of got started on Twitter and you've kind of been labeled Principal Twitter. As far as the other networks, how do you find them playing into your overall strategy or which networks did you find, I guess, easiest to kind of add in to, to the mix? Well, every tool I use has a, a strategic use. It is, I'd say my behavior on social media is 80 to 85 professional. Uh, 20 to 15% personal. So I have to look at characteristics, behaviors, and mindset as a leader of what I'm trying to accomplish. So for communication, my bread and butter tools are Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. For public relations, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Google+. Again, so there's a lot of overlap there. Oh, and most importantly, blogs. Blogs, I think, are our best public relations tool and also allows us to reflect openly. Um, branding presence, all those tools combined. But when I look more as a learner, a connected learner using a personal learning network, there is an array of tools. Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, blogs, digital discussion forums that are free forums for any educator, one of my favorite is edweb.net. 90,000 people are in this learning community. Anyone in the world can watch on-demand webinars, archived webinars, discussion forums. There are different communities for everyone, and they're free. But some of my most favorite learning tools are apps. Zeit, Flipboard, Pulse, Frequency, Feedly, all these apps I have them on one device, and they bring all the information right to me, which saves me time. So, I mean, you know, and then, again, there's other, there's other uses as well. When we think of, you know, rethinking learning spaces and environments, then there's all kinds of apps and tools related to bring your own device, maker spaces. The list goes on and on and on. But here is the most important piece of advice that I give leaders. Well, sounds like my kids are a little busy upstairs. Um, it doesn't matter what tool you use. What works for me might not work best for you. The key is don't let someone tell you you must be on Twitter. Don't tell, let someone tell you you must follow this person. The beauty of social media is picking the right tool that works for you and the right tool for the right job. So even though I love Twitter, that's my bread and butter, for someone else, it, it might be Pinterest. It, it might be a digital discussion forum. That's the beauty of choice. And when we eventually find value in the tool that we choose, that's when we master it, it becomes embedded part of our professional practice, and then we can start to begin to look at other ways to uh, add new tools uh, to improve what we do. Okay, and you mentioned PLN just then, and I've heard you speak about this before, perhaps um, you could expand on that just a, a little bit, to because I think you kind of coined that phrase, uh, so if you could 
talk a little bit more about what a PLN is. Well, I, I most certainly did not coin that phrase. And I, you know, with social media, I got to be careful. You know, I don't want to take credit for things that I did not come up with, because obviously, who knows who might see it? Maybe the person that did. A, a personal learning network is basically uh, a concept where you use social media tools to connect yourself with like-minded people, to acquire resources, to find the latest strategies, ideas, track conferences, get feedback, elicit support. So you're using all these tools to create a two-way flow of information engagement with other people. And you could do it through a variety of tools. Like we are right now, we're connected on Google+. That's a tool in a PLN. We're having a conversation through Google Hangouts that would not have occurred if it had not been for those ubiquitous connections that technology now affords. Um, so it's really about the people and the tools to become better at what we do. Now, this is how I see a personal learning network. All I do is use social media tools to connect myself with smart people. And it's those smart people that give me the best ideas, the best support, the best pushback, and actually make me look very, very good. And when you look at the, the takeaways, the true value in a PLN rests on what you take away from that informal learning experience. Because with a personal learning network, you can learn anytime from anyone from anywhere in the world, which is convenient, practical, you follow your passions. So what do you get out of PLN? It could be resources, self-directed learning, problem solving, friendships, meeting like-minded people, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. But again, it really has to do with the people behind the tool and the tool that you use to connect with others. Okay, great explanation. Exploring that ed tech side of things a little bit and I guess from your point of view as a principal, um, encouraging your teachers to learn more about technology and education. And uh, I've started looking into a little bit. I mean, I'm more on the marketing side of things for school, but I've uh, joined a couple of different Google communities, and the number of posts that are being put in these ed tech uh, communities, they're, they're blowing up my phone all day. As a principal, how do you encourage your teachers to get involved in learning about technology for teaching students? Uh, a couple ways. Probably the most innovative approach is we give them the autonomy to take control of their learning. We created a job embedded growth model during the school day where teachers are given two to three 48 minute periods per week to learn about anything they want. They create learning portfolios that have become part of their end-of-the-year evaluation conference. So this is where many teachers are seizing on what has become a notorious excuse in virtually every school. I don't have time. I took that excuse away, and they're using that time to learn how to integrate all these different Web 2.0 tools and different social media, different uh, technology applications. Our second is, we were so dissatisfied with the professional development opportunities out here in New Jersey and New York, we created our own. We created a conference called Edscape that's on a Saturday in October. 
attracts 400 people from 12 different states, Mexico and Canada, and this is where teachers in my school and beyond have access to 70 concurrent sessions, a keynote, giveaways, lunch, breakfast, all this great stuff. And my teachers are getting this practical hands-on training at this conference. And then the other ways, more informal, um, through my personal learning network, I find little tidbits and nuggets of information, and I pass it along, along to my teachers either via email or through face-to-face -face conversation uh, in the hallways or during eva observation post-conferences and evaluation conferences. So we've really created a self-sustaining model where there are no mandates or directives to use technology and I could say that over 90% of my staff is integrating technology to some extent because they want to. Okay, excellent. And since you have a, like, really jumped on board with social media and digital technology advances, What's some of the exciting things for you now? I mean, you mentioned you've, you're doing your own Edscape conference, uh, and I've, I've seen that you're being invited to a lot of different events, and you're doing the whole PLN thing. What's some of the other exciting things that have happened in your life as a principal now that you've really jumped on this bandwagon and, and really taken it to new levels? Wow, we could be here a while, so I'm going to cut it kind of short. Well. You know, for one, it really started with the whole public relations. Um, I live right outside the number one media market in the world, New York City. And CBS Channel 2 has been to my school ten times over the past four years to do primetime stories, all positive. No other school can even come close. So you have the public relations piece that has just gone to a whole new level. Uh, we have discovered a great deal of opportunity because we've told our story. Companies give us tens of thousands of dollars worth of technology for free. I've had teachers flown to Israel for a week free. My students went to Google in New York City and tried out the Chromebook and gave feedback to Googlers as they were developing the Chromebook. Um, you know, you mentioned the Edscape conference. I mean, so many opportunities um, at my school. For me professionally, I've become a walking, talking billboard for how you can initiate sustainable change leading to transformation. And you know, this year alone, um, I've already been in Canada. I'll be in Amsterdam and Dubai later this year, basically just spreading the word about how we're doing what we do in New Milford. I mean, so and of course, I, I wrote my first solo book, which is out now. So. You know, it's like when you communicate, you connect with social media, use it for public relations, opportunity follows, both at the school level and the professional level. Excellent. And your book, let's uh, explore that a little bit. Uh, is the title uh, Digital Leadership, uh, what is it, Changing Paradigms for Changing Times? Is that the subtitle? That is. Right. So... What's what's in that book, and uh, I guess what topics do you explore there? Um, well, well, the book, it's really a book on, on leadership and how do we lead in a digital age. So it has a lot to do with, you know, digital leaders have a combination of dynamic skills, behaviors, and mindset needed to initiate sustainable change in, in the 21st century. It, it's really about creating schools 
that mimic the real world. You know, when a student comes to school, they should be able to use their own devices, just like adults. They should be able to use social media for learning, and all this incredible stuff. So, you know, the, the book, the foreword was written by Young Zhao, who is a, a global icon in the field of education. And the first chapters talk about the changing landscape because of technology, why we need to change, how we can change with technology, and then a lot of things we broke down, you know, the remaining chapters focus on the pillars of digital leadership. Those behaviors, um, skills, responsibilities that all leaders need to address on a daily basis. And those pillars are communication, public relations, branding, professional growth, student engagement, learning and achievement, learning spaces and environments, and opportunity. So all these things that we've weaved into our conversation, there's a chapter in my book, each chapter opens up with a vignette or a story of a practicing school leader that exemplifies that pillar, how they're doing it, what tools they're using, what was the result, and it really provides um, a, a guide for any leader that wants to begin this journey. <clears throat> Fantastic. And where can people get a copy of your book? Uh, well, the book was published by Corrin Press, so you can go to the Corrin's website. It's also available on Amazon and as Kindle version. And for those people that uh, want it on their iBooks, it's not on iBooks yet, but you can get the ebook version on the Corrin website and download it to your iPad. So many, many different ways to get it. Fantastic. Well, that is all my questions uh, for you. Thank you very much for jumping on the call and uh, giving us an idea of what's happening for you and how you've embraced uh, digital technology in your school. I think it's, uh, it's a fantastic insight for principals and marketing directors here in Australia to just get a bit of a glimpse into what's happening overseas and especially in the United States where you know everything is kind of ten times further or it feels like it is than what we're doing here so well, you know what thanks again you no, no problem thank you Mike but you know what? just it, it, just look at this call today you know we're able we're able to overcome a, a slight time change time difference and we're able to talk and converse this could be the reality for all school leaders in Australia no longer do we have to feel that we are subject to silos of information or we live on these isolated islands when we can simply use connections that technology provides us to have conversations. The true catalyst for change is not technology. It's not a silver bullet. It's how people are using technology to connect and get better. That's the true catalyst or silver bullet for change in education, in my opinion. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll, uh, we'll leave it there. I will post this video up onto onlinemarketingforschools.com uh, if anyone is looking to watch this again. Um, thanks again, Eric. Great having you. And uh, I look forward to perhaps chatting with you again, uh, maybe in a couple months, and we'll see what uh, new things you're up to and uh, what's changed for you. Well, hopefully it'll be face-to-face -face and things will work out and I'll be in Australia for a couple weeks next summer. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed. Okay, excellent. Sounds good. All right, well, thank you very much.
All right, Mike, have a great night or day. <laughs>